This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Duran Duran on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area and you're looking for that Rio arcade experience, yeah, I went there, head over to the notorious Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. How are you doing, Mike? I'm not doing so bad, Carrington. And yourself? I am doing excellently, so I think I win. Oh, I hate it when you win. <laughs> I win with my excellence. Makes me depressed and angry all week until I come ah. back with a higher score than you and I beat you. Not this week, baby. Oh, I, I think, think this I did. week. Mm. Oh, I think this week I'm going to take it. I did well uh, at this weird know. little game. No one's heard of. <laughs> well, we'll save the trash talking for a few minutes anyway, and let's yes. let's just get into feedback. Well, we got some feedback. We got some interesting stuff. Not a lot of feedback because we posted the last show kind of late, um, as in Friday. So kind of five or six days late. So people just had the weekend to to write us in, and not a lot of people have done so yet. Well, this show was actually supposed to have been posted yesterday. So and it was. Uh, are you sure? Absolutely. I'm, I'm listening to it now, oh, and wow. I'm trying to say the same things I said in our future slash past podcast. I'm ahead of the curve. I'm so far ahead, I scrolled over. <laughs> but we did get some good feedback on, I think, on Twitter. Ken, you would know Ken, Game Bits on Twitter. He sent us in a link to uh, something called Meet the New Kings of Kong. And it's a YouTube video, but it comes from a site called vice.com or motherboard.vice.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And it's about a rivalry between two Donkey Kong players and not the two Donkey Kong players you might think it was oh, no? about. No, it's a whole different one. So there's Hank Shen, who's a 39-year-old plastic surgeon. All right. He was the one that was cut out of uh, King of Kong entirely, even though exactly. he had like a higher score than both of them at the time. Yep. And his rivalry with Vincent LeMay, who uh, uh. Vice spills <laughs> him as 22-year-old French-Canadian meathead Vincent <laughs> LeMay. I'm like, okay. So it's this fantastic video about their rivalry. It's the same sort of thing you'd see in The King of Kong. In fact, both of these guys were at the Kong Off 3 that you and Rob were at, and others, obviously. And it's a very funny rivalry, and I think it's played up for show maybe as much as the one in King of Kong was. But this one, I, I just loved it. Like I found this very funny. I find both these guys interesting characters. And I, I my favorite part was how Hank is saying how it takes a lot of effort and a lot of dedication and a, a lot of time to get and try to keep a Donkey Kong world high score. And he kind of came to the conclusion that like once he lost his score, if somebody else beats him, he's probably never going to go for it again because it's just too difficult unless he's beaten by Vincent LeMay, in which case he says, I will dedicate every waking moment to reclaim that score. <laughs> so it's that kind of rivalry. It's very funny. For the listeners out here who have not seen Vincent LeMay yet, pause the podcast, go look at some pictures. They're, they're all over Google and read a few of the things that he said, and then come back here and you'll understand why this is as funny as it is. 
because most of the photos you see will be him in front of a Donkey Kong machine, but not wearing a shirt. <laughs> right. He's very muscly and, and he's pretty boy. You'd expect him to be modeling underwear on the side of a building or something. He's really good at being inflammatory about the things that he says. I did meet him uh, at the Kong off. I think he was at the previous one, too. He's a nice guy. The video is really good, though. I highly recommend it. It was a good link. You should go over and read the a link to the article and to the video on YouTube. Definitely worth the time. So did we get other feedback, Mike? Oh, you know what? We did about dual joystick games. This we again? We talked about this last Yep, This again. Damn you, Quinn. And taking a task by Quinn for not labeling Black Widow correctly as a dual joystick shooter. And then I tried to think, well, if it's a whole genre, there must be other games. And I came up with Robotron and Smash TV and then was kind of stumped. So we got a couple of people sending in feedback ideas. One of the first of which was Rob O'Hara. And his ideas are nonsense. So he suggested that we should consider Tapper a dual joystick what? shooter because it has two joysticks. And my answer is, it's beer, not shooters. Please, whatever, wrong alcohol. So, of course not. Then he suggested NBA Jam. His ideas are all wrong. He doesn't know anything about arcades. Never read his book. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But we got a much more sensible bit of feedback. I think instead of, of banning Rob again, because that would be like four now, and he that's beginning to lose meaning for him. He just doesn't care anymore. I think we should ban Quinn, since this is all her fault. She started this. That, that'll show her. Ban them all. Anyway. We got a good letter from Jessica, though, who wrote in to suggest some others. So she said she was surprised that I could remember Robotron and Smash TV and not think of Total Carnage, which she lumps in as that type of game. She also suggested Krull and Cloak and Dagger and Space Dungeon. So those are some dual joystick shooters. And then she said, and then you can go off into just dual joystick games that are not shooters, like Karate Champ and most tank games like Battlezone and Vindicators. And she goes, and also a dual joystick game we already reviewed, which is Crazy Climber. And then she said, back on topic, the whole genre of dual stick shooter is still huge in modern gaming, particularly mobile gaming, with hundreds and hundreds of different games. And she gave us a link to uh, a site called 148apps.com. And you can just basically look at the ones tagged dual stick shooter and get page after page after page of lists of mobile games that are dual stick shooters. So it is quite the popular genre. I think we have to admit that Quinn was right and we were wrong. No! Quinn was right and you were wrong. Is that better? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but that pretty much ends, I think, the feedback that we got. We did get an email from Mark Kirkby, who's written in before. I think he's a relatively new listener, and he's finally caught up on all the back episodes, and now he's bored, so he's emailing us. Uh, hi, guys. I've listened to a couple of old podcasts in which you don't have info on the CPU, etc., used by an arcade machine because the info was not available on the net. If you use tab on a normal keyboard to access the MAME menu and then select game information, it lists the CPU and the sound modules used by MAME to emulate the current game. Cheers. And he is correct. The problem mm -hmm. is because I don't do any preparation whatsoever for, for the show other than playing the game. And I record on a MacBook Pro that doesn't really have the games necessarily that we're playing on them, especially ones that have weird controller setups, the, the dual joystick stuff, because you can't really do that with a mouse and keyboard. So as we're recording this and I haven't bothered to write anything down, I'm thinking, gee, I wish I had the ROM installed in the main that is on this machine so I could check it, but I don't. So I'm just going to pretend I don't know what it is. Good plan. It is a good tip, though, and I have done that as well to check or to double check what the settings are. And on the occasional show, through the magic of editing, we pause and I do have a main setup on this Mac that I'm recording on. So I'll, I'll launch it and do a quick look. When I'm looking for this info, it's so often wrong. It is crazy how much incorrect info there is out there. And the main files generally seem to be accurate because they're emulating the hardware. So if that's wrong, then it seems like a weird place to have incorrect. But 
it often doesn't exactly jibe with what you'll find in, say, the manual or elsewhere. So I do try to find multiple sources when we give out info on the show, just because there's so much false information out there, it's hard to be accurate. I think the the MAME emulation program just queries whatever ROM it's loading for that information. So Okay. So I can start to be lazy and just look at that from now sure, on, is what sure. you're saying? Excellent. I like that. And I think we got some stuff on Twitter, but that's not loading for me right now. So I apologize if you had something important to tell us and I didn't read it. We do have some news items to talk about real quickly. Ooh. The 2UP here in Denver has, has rebranded itself as the 1UP Colfax, which is the name of the street that it's on. And the large former porn shop slash meth dealership next door to them is now going to become a live music space. And as I understand it, and I could be wrong here, the way it works is there will be a concert or something. Somebody will come and do a musical performance and then the arcade stuff will open up afterwards, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. It seems like they're really taking the focus away from the arcade. It's odd for something called a one-up. The newly remodeled space will open on December 20th. It's currently still called the two-up and you can actually go and continue to play the arcade games that are there, but I guess everything's going to change. Hmm. I'm a little disappointed about the direction they're taking it. Not that I've ever been there, so I am part of the problem. I like those guys. I've met them a few times. The TwinGalaxies.com webpage has been down for a long time now, and I think if you go there right now, it looks kind of like one of those ad farm pages. I don't think it actually is, but that's what it looks like. Well, you have to sit through a concert first, oh. and then you, then you can look at the scores. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, if it's the right band, sure. I was watching a movie the other day, Carrington. Was it a good movie or was it the kind of movie you make me watch? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the Death Wish movies starring Charles Bronson, the late Charles mm -hmm. Bronson. Or Chuck, as I call uh, him. Chucky. And, <laughs> Little Chucky Bronson. <laughs> well, you can call him that now because he's dead. <laughs> yes. I had forgotten that one of the, and I forget which, no, there's like five of them, and I forget which one of the sequels was the plot of the movie is, is based around this drug dealer who deals out of an arcade along a boardwalk. That would be Death Wish 4. Is that the one? Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. So I, I had a good time watching that and chuckling because I, I remember in the 80s arcades being, you know, kind of dark, obviously dark, loud places and they were smoky because you used to be able to smoke in places in the United States. I don't know, maybe it was just me and the and the, the bad people that supposedly hung out in arcades took one look at me and said, nah, don't want anything to do with him because I was just so tough and such a badass that they walked away from my, my skinny 12-year-old Is something. that how you're remembering it? <laughs> it must be. I don't remember arcades being places like that and yet I keep seeing references to them in the media and I wonder if a lot of that's just a Hollywood slash media hysteria myth. Could be, yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, who knows? I guess maybe a lot would depend on the city and the area of sure. a city that they were in and stuff. Yeah. And now I'm going to depress everyone before we get into the game. Uh, I have two sad news stories. One is actually from about a year ago. I stumbled across an article on LazyGamer.net called The Sad Final Fate of Older Arcade Machines. It's a quick little article. The, the header image is, is of a bunch of old machines being lit on fire in a trash pit or something. I feel bad for kind of giggling about this. It has the, the face of the Native American that used to cry in those 70s commercials whenever you littered. He's standing next to these arcade machines being lit. But it's kind of depressing to see what happened to a lot of those old machines. In the pre-eBay world where people think they could get a lot of money for them. Indeed. And, of course, because of that, now some of these are actually worth a lot of money. And another sad arcade news, one of them burned down. Carrington, you know about this. Tell me about it. It was a fire in September in New Jersey. There was a New Jersey boardwalk. And unfortunately, it seems like the whole area had been rebuilt after the Hurricane Sandy. 
uh, which wasn't that long ago. And now, unfortunately, a fire that seems to have started in a frozen custard shop took out a whole bunch of the Seaside Park and Seaside Heights area of New Jersey, including destroying an arcade that had just been rebuilt. And it's such, I mean, such a shame. I can't even imagine going through that. It's called the Carousel Arcade. He'd been business around five years, got wiped out in Hurricane Sandy, just rebuilt it all, and now it's just burned down again. Just, just terrible. Sad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, real, real shame. Now that everybody's in a great mood, let's talk about <laughs> this week's game, Carrington. Well, this week's game is an odd one, and it is called Macho Mouse, a macho, 1982 game macho by... Macho Mouse. <laughs> I kind of had that in my head. I want play <laughs> Macho Mouse. Go ahead, do Carrington. You, I'm just going to sing you, in the background while you talk. Do you really macho, want to play Macho, macho Mouse? <laughs> So it was a 1982 game by Techstar, and I had never, ever, ever heard of this game before. Yeah, this was another listener recommendation. I thought we had already played this game because it, it plays a lot like another one called Amadar. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. Only it's not as good. I would think, yes, I'm going to give you that one. I do not think it is as good or as fun or as polished as Amadar was. But it is, like Amadar, it's a, I guess what they call a grid capture game, where you're playing a little mouse, and you're walking around a maze, picking up little dots, and we'll talk a bit about this maze. It's not really much of a maze. And as you finish off areas, they will fill in. And the goal is you have to capture basically the whole maze, and then you move on to the next level. So very similar to Amadar, kind of similar to like Pepper 2 or Kicks or, or something like that. As I was playing this, it looked to me like the mouse was sort of running along like a, 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 the top of a wall, maybe. Okay. Because in some of the larger spaces where you can't normally run, you uh, there there were like stairs down, and there's a little pathway that that you could cut through to get you up to the top of another wall that the pursuing mm. cats and I think there's an owl and some other things chasing you. You can cut through. So I, I got the impression that you were sort of like on, on a wall and these are people's backyards or something. But as you fill in a box or a square, that area sort of closes off and it fills up with a nice little picture of, of your head, a smiling mouse head. But you can't go back through. So if there was a path through there before, you can't take that anymore. It's kind of closed off to you. Right. But it does sort of fill in the little boxes. So like Amadar and, and the more that you get at once, the bigger the bonus and I did find that the pursuing creatures, unlike Amadar, which was the, what, what do they call that? The deterministic patterns? Right. They would just always walk the same way. In this game, the cats actively pursued you and they were very good at catching you. The one disadvantage that you had, if you took one of the paths through the garden, was that you moved slower than them. So often they were waiting at the other end to catch you. So it was frustrating and a little bit difficult at first until I kind of got the hang of it. I didn't hate the game. I just, didn't think it was as good as Amadar, and we'd already played that, so this felt kind of like a maybe a half step down. Yeah, I can see that. Like, I remember playing Amadar and getting destroyed at it. Like, I'm not really good at this kind of game, but the Amadar play field, which was just basically lines, and then you would fill in the blocks and they would just be filled in with a solid color. So the background was a lot less detailed than in Macho Mouse, but it's not that the one in Macho Mouse is amazingly detailed, but he does fill in that little cartoon head into the area, in, into the blocks that you fill in. But the characters in Amadar, those weird little monkeys and, <laughs> and stuff, were far cuter and far more detailed than the characters in Macho Mouse. I think where Macho Mouse really falls down is in the graphics of your avatar and of, of the enemies, and in really particularly this mouse that you play. I found that it sort of almost just shakes as you're walking because it really has just a two-position sprite, so it doesn't have any fluid motion. And I found it really amateurish 
in the the design of the sprites. And I found that kind of distractingly not great. It's not that it was super low resolution. It's just that they weren't really doing much with them. And I think they really needed somebody better at the graphics helm on this. Especially from a game that's from 1982. You know, if this were from 80 or 81. It doesn't seem like 82 at all. This really seems like a game from 1980. This seems like a much older game. Yeah. I'm reading on the arcademuseum.com that the button allowed your mouse to jump. Yes, the button is the key to getting a decent high score. Hmm. Does the button not work for you? <laughs> well, when I press the button, he left like a little balloon behind him. Yes, well, that's what happened to me as well. It didn't do a... Oh, you know what? They were thinking in Amadar, you do that jump and it bounces everybody and they stun them. It's Amadar where you jump. This No, you don't jump. You leave a balloon and then the button again will burst the balloon. So you're basically leaving a bomb. So you do have a little bit of variation in the strategy there than from Amadar, because with Amadar, you could... You could hit it and run under them while they were stunned and that sort of thing. And this one, you could strategically place the balloon. So if you knew that several of the cats were going to come around the corner trying to corner you, you could set it off at the right moment. The catch is that the balloon going off will also cost you a life if you're too close to it. Yeah. Now, the the upside is, like you mentioned, unlike Amadar, they're not just walking around randomly. They're coming at you. So you can leave a balloon and you can lead the bad guys into it, which was nice. You can really use it strategically. The downside I found, like the explosion would go and that little bit of dust cloud would stay there for a while. And if you enter that dust cloud, you die. It's like an ongoing explosion. And I frequently would wish it would just go away <laughs> so I could run through that area. I'm like, you've killed the cats already. Let me through. A snake is coming for me. But at least I found that you could use it strategically. And I like that a lot. I like that aspect. I did enjoy the gameplay over that of Amadar in that respect, where it actually required some planning and thought, as opposed to Amadar, where if you learn the patterns, you knew that you could just continue up the path you're going because the oncoming monkey was automatically going to turn whether you were there or not. Ah, but see, I could never get the hang of that in Amadar. I would never trust that if I was like at an <laughs> intersection and the monkey's coming for me, I would never trust it would turn. So I'm better at a game like this where they're not going to turn. They're going to come for me. I want them to act the way I expect them to act. And I'm actually better at it that way. I de definitely did better this game in Amadar. Carrington, you have trust issues. <laughs> I do have trust issues. I blame you. <laughs> but I mean, there's other little things I liked about the game. And mostly I liked the speed of the game i found it never got to a, at least in the levels i could get to it never got so fast that i wasn't able to actually try to execute strategy so i like that sometimes games just ramp up to such a crazy speed that old man carrington can't keep up with them and make <laughs> strategy here there was always lots of time to plant a balloon or, or come up with a strategy so i liked that you're not under some sort of crazy ticking clock what i didn't like about it on the other hand was that the maze the quote-unquote maze was far too similar it's or far too simple rather it's it's like a series of corridors and there's not enough option a lot of times as you especially get into the farther than the first few levels that there's barely any intersections so like you're just in an area sort of running around a square trying to keep away from the cats and and that took away from the strategic element i found so i didn't like the maze design as the game got further into harder levels see that didn't bother me so much i enjoyed the pacing and, and as we talk about it in fact the more that we talk about it, the more i think i kind of actually prefer this game to amadar because I was thinking about what fun I was having with the strategy and how frustrating it was because the cats, I think they move, like when you're on the wall, they move as fast as you do. And when you're down in the garden, they move faster. So it definitely takes some planning to to get around them because you can't just set a balloon off whenever you want without killing yourself. 
I like that the balloons would last as well, that you could set out a balloon and you could leave it there. And then you got to decide when it would burst. So it makes it a really good Bomberman sort of thing. I didn't like the graphics. Like you said, they seem very 1979, 1980, kind of blocky and kind of ugly. Except I didn't the like colors. The At least <laughs> there's lots of color. But other than the There was a lot of color, color, but it didn't go well together for me. It was like green yeah. and orange and yellow and... And blue and red and purple and violet. <laughs> Those two, yes. So I, I wish that had been done better. The other thing, you know what, Carrington, the other thing that I didn't like about this game. I don't. <laughs> the fact that there is almost no information about Macho Mouse on the internet. You can't find oh, anything about this game. Yeah, this game. There's nothing. Like, there's there's a reason I had never heard of it before. <laughs> it's like, I'm still not even sure it exists. This is a, yeah, it just existed in a void. I spent a ton of time trying to find out info about this game and I could find nothing. I still don't know who the, the actual developer was. Like, I can't find the name of the person who actually made this game. I was able to find some information about the company, this company, this Techstar, who I guess his full name is actually Digitrex Techstar. Huh. So it's a bit of a mouthful. And it seems like Macho Mouse was the first game that they developed and published completely themselves. But before that, earlier in 1982, they developed the game Eyes, which was a maze shooter that was actually published by a different company, by Rockola. But it seems like it was developed in-house by Techstar. Now, Eyes is one that I've heard of before, and as I recall, we haven't we haven't covered that one yet, but as I recall, there was a lot of similarity to another game with Eyes that we did cover called Eggs. Where you shot your eyes out. That's still my favorite part of Eggs. You can <laughs> shoot your eyes. That was so cool. I do see some other games that yep. are attributed to Techstar. I see Docman, Fitter, Funny Mouse, a game called Intrepid, which I think I've heard of. Something called Portman, another one called Roundup, Super Mouse. I didn't find any of those games. The Pit and Zarya Vostoka. So I've only maybe heard of one or two of those. From Techstar? My goodness. I found completely different games. I found that they did, they had a game called Gorkins, which is a really interesting looking game. I never heard of it. It was originally called Mr. TNT, but then it got published as Gorkins in 1983. And you drive along these lines and you kind of erase them while you drive along them. And you're supposed to pick up bonuses and you keep having to go forward. So you have to not get yourself in a position where you can't keep driving because you're basically driving and pulling up your road as you drive. It looked really cool, but, but that was actually produced by a different company called Telco, but T-E-L-K-O, which was a Spanish company and then published in the English-speaking word world by Techstar. And then they did a, something called Trivia Quest, which is a bar top game. And their next big game seemed to be Lizard Wizard, which is the name I like. And it came out in 85. And it's kind of the exact same premise as Wizard of War, because you play this spaceman with a laser and you're doing battle against a wizard with dragons and stuff. So it's very Wizard of War-ish. It seems like a lot of their games are kind of riffs on other people's games. <laughs> And they made a thing called the uh, CCT-1 in 1983, which seems to be the thing that supported the company the most. And it took me forever to figure out what game that was. It's because it's no game. The CCT stands for Convertible Countertop Cabinet, and it's basically a bar top cabinet they made, and they sold it as a, like a game without a PCB, and it was a kit that you would buy somebody else's game and put in it. And they sold it for 700 bucks, and it was like a decently made but relatively cheap bar top that they would sell. And you could get their ga any of their games in it, or really they pushed it as a kit that you could put other people's games in and make money at it. Those are the ones I found. I mostly found them by eventually just basically giving up 
on finding information about this company and starting to look for trademarks instead. And so trademarks and copyright searches are a lot of times a great way to find information about games. And so it's through that I found the, the Macho Mouse trademark and then got to look at other trademarks held by the same people and by the same company. And that's how I found these things. And that kind of introduced me to something a little weird. I will put a link in the show notes to the Macho Mouse trademark, which is now expired. So if anybody out there wants to have a video game called Macho Mouse, this is an expired trademark in the US. So you can put out your own game or port it to have the official name. The trademark was held by a guy named Bill Oligies, I guess. It's O-L-L-I-G-E-S, William Oligies. He owned a bunch of trademarks and seems to be one of the founders of this company. But at the same time, he was working at a company called Centuri. We've talked about their games before. And he's one of the founders of that and put out a bunch of games with a totally other company. And I've seen a whole bunch of interviews with him talking about Centuri and talking about his background in games. And never once in any of these interviews has anybody asked him about Techstar or has he mentioned Techstar. So I got it in my head that it was this whole secret other business he was running at the time. And that probably isn't the case, but it's really fun to think that we have uncovered Bill Olge's secret extra life in the early I days. think he's, he's actually the creator of the real Polybius machine. I think so as well. And oh, there's a knock on my door. Let me go see what that is. <laughs> and the whole thing is really interesting. But so I found... Techstar is a fun example of there were so many companies in the height of the video craze, like late 70s to early 80s. So many companies popped up and put out like one or two games or licensed a game or licensed a PCB and put out kits. And as the shuffle was going on to see who would be really successful. And Techstar is one of those companies that put out this game and found moderate success in a couple of things, but then kind of went away. It's not unique in that, but it's something we haven't really talked about before. That in addition to the big names, everybody knows. Everybody knows Damco. Everybody knows Bally. Everybody knows Atari. But for every Atari, there were 10 tech stars. There were all these other companies putting out small things and regional things and licensing games from other countries. And Yeah, it seems like there's this whole sort of underculture there. Like you said, you've got the big shining stars like Atari and Valley Midway. And, and then the second and third tier companies that have this probably sorted, maybe semi-sorted history behind them. And that history has largely disappeared because the people are dead or they don't talk about it. Nobody ever documented it. It's interesting. If you go into most GUI MAME clients now have, you can sort the games by different filters. And one of them is manufacturer. And if you just click open, it's interesting to scroll down through and see all the different companies. There's hundreds. There's probably, what, 50,000 MAME ROMs or something like that now if you split them out into all the right. clones. The companies are like a quarter of that amount. I mean, there's so many different companies, like you said, that put out one game and decided, oh, we don't want to do the arcade thing. Or right. they got bought out or they went under. Some business partner shot the other one and they're both in jail. <laughs> Coming up on the next one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so there's this history out there that feels like it's unexplored. And, and it would be neat to be able to do a show about that. But I don't know how you would go about finding information that nobody wants to talk about. Other than, and the reality is other most than of the patent searches and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. You know? Which was fun. I mean, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fun rat hole looking at the patents and looking at their trademark applications because you can see, well, here's the trademark for this game. Here's a trademark for a game that they never got produced or that they were going to put out. And so it's interesting to just look at the trademarks because those are all available and, and made public. So it's pretty easy to do trademark searches and find out what games somebody either had or intended to put out and what have you. But the reality is, say there's 10,000 companies that did something to do with arcade production. The vast, vast majority of them only put out a couple of games that are unplayably awful. And the nice thing here is we 
we've stumbled upon Macho Mouse. At least, you know, I'd never heard of it. I don't think you had before. It's nice that a listener recommended it. And it turns out to be an actually playable game. Like, it's this is no Donkey Kong. It's not going to make anybody's, I think, top no. favorite list. But it's a decent game. It's worth playing. I'm happy to have been introduced to it. And I had fun playing it this week. I was quite surprised because when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, no. Oh, goodness. What have we done? I almost wrote you saying, I think we should pick a different game. But then I got into it. I got into the strategy. And I was like, you know what? There's enough game here to keep yeah, me Yeah, I toyed with the same idea of backing out of this one. And I'm glad that I didn't. It's above average. Like you said, it's not going to be on any awards, yeah. on any award lists or anything like that. And I think it's a case of probably the story around the game and the company behind it are a lot more interesting than the game itself. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if you've never played it, definitely worth downloading the ROM and giving it a shot. I bet most of our listeners have never heard of this game. So we're probably introducing it to a lot of people. Well, good for us. <laughs> Way to go, us. So, you know, a bit about the cabinet. Uh, rather the kid it was sold at, but I don't know much about the guts of it. Macho Mouse featured a dual Z80 system. The primary chip was at 3.072 megahertz. The secondary chip was 2.5 megahertz. Featured a mono sound system and two AY38910A sound chips at 1.536 megahertz. Kind of low resolution, 256 by 224 raster graphics. And that's pretty much it. Is the cabinet any more interesting than the stats? Well, it kind of is. If you look around, there's not a lot of these available. And I couldn't find a price on any of them because, honestly, this wasn't super collectible. They didn't make a lot of them. And I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> but I did find, like, the few people that have actual cabinets. First, I started looking at them going, the shape is so much like a Pac-Man cabinet. And that's because this was actually only sold as a kit. And the ones I'm thinking, I think, were Pac-Man cabinets. <laughs> and I was going to describe how, like, it looks like the monitor is that same thing where it's set inside and it leans back. So the monitor is almost horizontal. And I'm taking all these notes going, I feel like I'm describing Pac-Man just with different colors. And then once I read more about this, it seems like this was only ever sold as a kit. Or you could buy it. I mean, really, if you're going to get in the original one... I guess the only full one they would have ever sold is in that CCT1 bar top machine because you could buy that with this PCB in it and that would be the only really official cabinet. But there was no stand-up official cabinet. It's just a highly generic PCB and it came with what they called a, what's the say on the fly here, a specially designed oversized marquee and control panel of adhesive back Lexan, easily trimmed to fit your equipment. So the whole point was you would get larger than average control panel, larger than average monitor bezel, larger than average marquee image, and then you would cut it down to fit whatever cabinet you happen to have at hand. This was strictly promoted as you've got a machine, it's not making any money, here's something you can buy that's uh, not super expensive and you can turn your game into something new. So it absolutely was just shovelware targeted that market. And you know, it kind of was total <laughs> shovelware, except it's slightly higher quality. I found a link to a couple of different flyers and like adverts for it and things. And the only other thing I found was most places seem to indicate that this is an eight-way joystick and there's just no way. It's absolutely a four-way joystick. It makes no sense. Arcadehistory.com says it's eight-way. Everyone says it's eight-way and everyone's wrong. It's not. It's clearly... Well, fun. what little information there is out there about this game tends to be wrong because even Arcade Museum says that the fire button jumps and it doesn't. That's the Amador function. It leaves that balloon Right. I don't think anybody else actually played the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in fact, you sent me a link earlier this week about uh, a thread you found on Arcade Controls. Somebody's asking if anyone even cared about the cabinet. He said he'd bought this thing on eBay or something, and it was a, originally a Galaxian cabinet, and he was going to turn it back into Galaxian, but he wanted to make sure that he wasn't destroying some rare conversion before he did that. And I think everyone's writing back going, don't worry about it. <laughs> 
because he was saying like it's still got some side art on it that's kind of wrecked but if he pulls it off he, he was going to try to pull it off in a way that would preserve the side art and most people's responses were either you kind of can't do that once it's stuck on it's going to come off in shreds and two who cares it's Mantra Mouse <laughs> so which is really too bad because I think they're wrong like it's a fun game the responses that I'm seeing are either who cares or I've never even heard of this thing yeah kind of sad because i didn't hate the game i would definitely spend some time with it in an arcade not a bad little find and so thank you to whoever recommended this to us yeah absolutely i'm really pleased so we just went at it for a week i'm really pleased with my score this week um how (laughs) well then i'll go first i'll set the bar baby no no no. let me go first because i think i beat you oh hit me no no chance (laughs) i got twenty eight thousand four hundred and fifty. you suck ah i knew it (laughs) man ah Okay, so I got 25,250, and I honestly thought I totally had you this week. I really felt, I'm, I'm owning this game. In fact, I looked up the world record, and this is a hard one to find world records on with, um. Especially with TG gone. That's it, with, uh, I couldn't remember that, but with it being gone, it's so hard to find records, and a bunch of places that do have records, are out of date. Like they'll have a record and the site's not been updated since 2005 or 2008. And there's been new records since then. I found a site in Australia that has a PDF of world records, but it's including world records done in emulation. So the world record in this game, but it's got an E beside it, this fellow, Justin Kvithel, he's got the world and and his name was driving me crazy because I knew this name from somewhere, but we'll get to that in a second. So he's got the current world record under emulation and that's only 31,600. So we're both not that far from it. So I kept thinking, I've got to destroy you. I'm only a few thousand <laughs> below the world record and you actually beat me. You suck. <laughs> so this Justin guy, he's funny though, because he's got a bunch of world records all for games you've never heard of. It seems like he goes out and finds games that no one else wants to play, and he just grabs... So he's got the world record currently for Mustache Boy, for Pig Newton, <laughs> what? Snake Pit, and something called Armed Police Bat Rider, which I totally want to play. So he got the world record of 31,600 on this game, on uh, Macho Mouse, on September 27th, 2012. It's quite recently. But three months earlier, he got the world record score of 60,620 for... Satan of Saturn. That's how I knew this oh my guy. Goodness. <laughs> like, yes, so that's the kind of game he plays. But this game is so much better. That's a genius idea because you can claim all these these world records and know that probably no one's ever going to beat them. And if they do, it's going to be like a one-time thing and you can just go back and beat him again. I'm the previous uh, world record holder for Armed Police Batrider. <laughs> this is another thing about the game that kind of made me think that it was 79 or 80 as opposed to 82. Those older games used to give you 10 points for something or, you know, maybe 50 points or 100 if you really did something great. And by 1982, you were scoring tens and thousands and Mm 20,000 points on the first level of whatever you were playing. And this is a game where it takes a lot of effort to get points. And so 30,000 points, while it doesn't sound like much, actually is quite difficult. I played for several hours, three or four days this week, and could never get get above that 28,000 mark. It doesn't really matter because my podcasting partner here didn't even come close. I came close. I got the first digits the same, but yeah, you beat me. I was so sure this week I had you. Ah, And I wish I had taken a screenshot. The problem that that I have with some of the games in MAME, and maybe it's just the version that I'm, maybe I need to update to, to the latest version of MAME, is that save states don't work. Even if you turn on the save state function, once you get out, you get back in, the game is completely reset. And of course, I didn't take a screenshot to rub in your face, so 
I'm sure all of our listeners will be on Facebook within 10, 15 minutes saying what a liar I am. And to As that, they should To be. that I have to say... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a fun game. It wasn't a great game. It was fun. I liked it. I might play it again in the future. I'm sure that I will. And it's so funny because the first day I started playing this, like we said, I was like... Oh no, we've chosen poorly. <laughs> this just done? looks terrible. Something about this just struck me as so amateurish. I thought this is going to be an awful game. But then the more I played it, the more I got kind of hooked on it. And I didn't add it to my favorites in MAME, but I will absolutely come back to this game at some point. I know I will. It's not complete shovelware. It's much better than it looks. And I had a fun time playing it. There are some rough edges there. I'm just glad that they were more superficial. They were more about the graphics and the colors than they were right. about annoying or, or deal breaker gameplay. Right. So. And so when I am soon the world record holder, <laughs> we will review visit this game <laughs> all right well you just let me know so i can knock you down again <laughs> i shall maybe so what can, about next week maybe what you can beat me in that game character at uh, next week's game yeah i've already beat you didn't you i've already also posted next week's game i don't think you have no <laughs> well what's it sound like here you go all right well i think that brings us to the end of another episode of the no quarter podcast it does thank goodness thanks everybody well, thank for listening Absolutely. Thanks for podcasting with me, Mike. Thank you, Carrington. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>